And I look over and I've, I'm seeing people like just little hints of we don't want to fight either between the police and the protesters. Not everybody's there to, to engage. But again, you have pack mentality on both sides. I could see I'm like, again, no planning whatsoever. As soon as he came into my 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 space, I said, bro, I said, that guy is not who we are. See these cops? I said, they're here to protect you. You tell me what we need to do. He's like, tell the people you just told me. I said, get their attention. Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Welcome to Now to Next with Nick Nanton. I have got my good friend, Sheriff Swanson. Sheriff, how are you doing today? My day just got that much better because of you, brother. Seriously. I love it, man. <laughs> I'm glad to have you on. I am glad to have you on. So there's a lot to talk about today from... I mean, the world is in a crazy place. Uh, we have plenty of issues. I don't know that we have any more issues than we've ever had. It's funny. I have a few friends like yourself in law enforcement that, you know, I feel I'm, I'm, I love the energy you keep because I know I have a few friends in law enforcement that, you know, really you see the worst of the worst every day in many cases. And I'm sure it must be hard to balance that out by still seeing the best in people. Uh, but there's definitely, there's some new things, some different things. We got new drugs out there. We got lots of new things, but so there's a lot to talk about, but I guess, yeah, first of all, how do you keep perspective on the fact that you're focused on, you know, sort of a tough part of the population, but still keep a great attitude? Well, first of all, um, it's a choice you have to make. Like I, I choose to be the person I am. I just don't let my emotions, my responses to to what's going on around me, positive or negative, to just happen without intention, and especially in leadership. And then, then you take on on top of that, I'm an elected official. There's a high expectation for my delivery, my persona, and my leadership. And so, if you're a student of leadership, you know that you set the tone. So I've always said, do I want to work for a guy like me? And because of my attitude, even in chaos. Now, I'm always fun, but I also know how to divide that up based on what's delivered. But you keep a perspective by choosing how you're going to respond. I can't control people overdosing and human trafficking and people getting shot and people hanging themselves. I can't control broken families and all this nonsense, but I can control how I act and how I respond. And people watch that and they will model it. Uh, best example of leadership, people who listen to all these podcasts probably – tired of me talking about it, but my friend Kenny Thomas, who is one of the lead rangers in the Black Hawk Down crisis, uh, the Battle of Mogadishu, he gave me the best definition of leadership I've ever heard. And that is leadership is the example you set for the people you serve. And I don't think it can be any better than that. what you just said, it, you know, makes that clear. You know, there's a lot to talk about within your department, the model you're setting to hopefully just provide light to some other law enforcement departments all across the country. And we'll get into that. But I think the, the, the Trojan horse here, the elephant in the room, everyone wants to hear about first is there's a ton of news coverage 
about you when we started having riots across the country in Flint, Michigan. There was tension, racial tension, uh, after the George Floyd uh, murder, really. And after that happened, uh, some things went down in Genesee County in Flint. Tell us about that day, the days leading up to that, those moments. And I've also heard your perspective on, you know, the, the officer who killed George Floyd as well. I'd love to hear his perspective here publicly on that. So I'm going to answer that in a couple of different ways. Number one, the day you talk about is May 30th, 2020. And uh, it was a day uh, that we were already planning to have a protest at our local business district here in Flint. But that day was a culmination of decades and decades of trials and tribulations within our community. And so what happened with George Floyd was yet just another ingredient to this melting pot of anxiety and division and uh, in frustration and anger. We had a water crisis in 2016 where literally the city of Flint water was poisoned and the government that was in charge at the time, local state, they neglected the people. So you have all that frustration and they'd been drinking it, myself included, my parents for years before we realized that a business decision caused it to be poisoned. On top of that, crime. We have a major issue with our violent crime. And then on top of that, poverty. And on top of that, General Motors, which birthed itself here in Flint, Michigan. So they're getting mollywhopped every which way to Sunday. And then George Floyd happened. And it's just a another example of how much more can we take. Now, I didn't know how that night was going to turn out when I had planned at 1 o'clock on Saturday, May 30th, that we were going to do our op plan, we we're preparing for battle. And I don't say any of this, Nick, because I, I want to elevate myself or, or think we have superhero capes. We were doing exactly what we've been trained to do for all these years. And that is when you meet conflict, you respond at that time, way we trained, the way we had our, our, our mentality with equal or greater force. That's how you neutralize a conflict. But what had happened that last five days since George Floyd was murdered, uh, on Monday in broad daylight by somebody who wore a similar uniform to me, but didn't represent who I was. Every day that tension accelerated more and more. The Friday before May 30th, the 29th, they burned cities. They burned a sheriff's office. They burned CNN. They burned police precincts. So all this was happening. And then on Saturday, May 30th, on top of the history, it was a powder keg. But, but we were ready. And because I'm the sheriff in, in the jail, Mind you, it was it was burned in in, Wisconsin, in Washington. They burned a sheriff's office. The jail is a mile away from where the protests was scheduled at one at five o'clock on that Saturday. So I got with the team. There's other agencies involved. There's other command stuff involved, and and all these things were happening at the same time. We just said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna give them space. But if any one of them gets out of order, we're gonna come down and, and we're gonna make arrests. And we had our pepper balls, we had our OC spray, we had our shields, our helmets, our batons, we had all that. Other agencies, it was all prepared. I leave, Elon Musk is put the first SpaceX ship with an autonomous crew to the space station that same day. And I remember because when I left at the briefing, I went back home and I'm sitting there on a couch and I'm just like, and I love space travel, but I'm like numb to what's happening, even though it's super cool. At four o'clock, I jump in my car, head back to Flint Township and the, the command staff's already there. Our TAC team is already there and the local officers are there and all these UCs are everywhere on the covers. And at five o'clock, the first Carlo shows up and uh, four or five people get out. And then every minute that goes by, more and more people show, more and more people show. And then uh, almost six o'clock, they, they get into one lane, they get into two lanes, they get into three lanes. 
and shortly thereafter, they get all five lanes blocked. They're marching to the west, they're marching to the east. They get on southbound uh, I-75, which is the main thoroughfare that runs from Michigan all the way to Florida. And they shut down the entrance ramp. And, and you know, we're all kind of this, 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 this anxious uh, awareness going on. But at that point, they hadn't done anything other than just yelled and screamed and, and said some awful things or holding up awful signs. They come back to the west. And just across the hood of my car as they walked, uh, they walked past their original location and they, they went past this huge pumper fire truck. And uh, when they passed that fire truck, there's no reason they should have gone past it unless they had other intentions. Now, Nick, we're, we're searching uh, all our social media sources. We have all our intel guys and uh, all our, our social media softwares searching for threats and we're getting you know, bottles stored here and rocks stored here and trash this neighborhood and burn this neighborhood. So we knew all this was happening and percolating. But when they surrounded that fire truck and then went past it, they took a northbound shot on a street called Fleckenstein. And at the end of that street is the local police department, not my agency, a much smaller one called Flint Township. But that's also, ironically, where the uh, command center was. That's where all the dispatching was going for this event. When they turned northbound, the entire environment changed. And uh, you heard radio traffic in, in, the, in the lieutenant on there. Fortify the police department, fortify the line, fortify the police department, get the line, battle gear up, you know, get your ride gear on. <clears throat> Myself, and at that point, I was sitting next to the undersheriff who had his own, his own vehicle. We shot over behind the police department, and uh, I had already had my gas mask fit tested, my helmet, we put it all on. And uh, I, I, I get out of my car and you could just feel the tension. It was literally like you're you're about to go into battle and, and you're, you're stepping into the ring. I come over the grassy knoll that's from the the north side of the PD to the south side, and it's the street coming right at us. And I'm not kidding you, bro. There was just a mass of people coming. And one guy standing on a black SUV just screaming out a megaphone. They have, they have you know, signs. But as much anger as there was, there were like kids in the crowd. There were, you know, 70% white people in the crowd. And, and people that were just like, it was like, where'd they come from? We were totally outnumbered and the line was there and you know, young cops and older veteran cops there and they had shields and their helmets and batons and dude, it was intense. And, and uh, I remember coming over and as I was walking close to that line, I, I said to myself, I'm like, how did this happen? Like, this is the craziest thing. We, we were COVID heroes a week ago, but now we're the most hated profession because of that idiot that did that broad daylight that now ignited this whole thing. So as I come up the line, one of the guys that you know that you worked with and one of our ops, Rudy Lopez is there. He's got a, a less than lethal shotgun and, and it's got uh, pepper balls in it. I say, hey, Rudy, I said, man, just tuck behind this car right here because he's on the front line, you know, and a shotgun can be a little bit intimidating for obvious reasons. And then my other guy that you know from being on the op, Dobbs is over here. And I go to tell him that he's like, Sheriff, that dude's got uh, a pistol on. And I looked in the crowd and they're open carrying. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, it just started just happening seconds at a time, but something hit me, which is gonna to get to your point as to your first question is, how do you choose the attitude that you have? And, and I'm gonna give you something that has worked for me my whole life and it worked for me that day. And because of that decision, lives were saved, property was saved. And that is, I've always prepared in the calm to perform in chaos. When you do that, it happens naturally. You don't have to think about it. And at that moment, there was nanoseconds between one person or another on either side that could flip this whole thing over and there's no 
pulling back that train. It's it's done. It's over. We were going to be another staff. But I saw a black pastor named Jeff Hawkins earlier in the night, and I thought, where is he? Again, none of this was planned, Nick. I, I'd love to say, yeah, I thought about this, check, this, check. None of this was planned. He's over in the crowd when I call him. I'm like, bro, where are you? Now, Jeff Hawkins is a street pastor. He's had two kids killed in two different homicides. The street loves him, respects him. He's just built and stacked, and it just looks he's, – he's a champ. He's a great dude, and he's been my friend for eight years. He was the only guy that I knew in the crowd. And when I called him up, I'm like, hey, where are you? He's, uh, he goes, I'm in the crowd. I'm like, where? And I'm looking, I'm looking, and I see him. And I'm going to tell you, only by God's grace did it make sense for me to take my helmet off because, again, instinctively, I knew that it would send a different message psychologically if I walked into the crowd looking the way I looked with a helmet on, people would see that as an engagement. When I think back, that was subconsciously why I did it. Plus, I don't want to show that I was intimidated. I wanted to show that 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 line that they created, I wasn't going to follow that line. I walked right in. I gave him a big old hug. Just boom. He was wearing a gray shirt, gray pants. I can see it right now. As soon as that's happening, I'm talking. People are kind of looking around. The line's there. I mean, it's probably 50, 60 feet to the right and to my left. And people everywhere just loud. They're screaming. To my right, one of the captains, Rick Cronkite, comes over and he brings one of the shot callers. And uh, I look at him, and to this day, I, I don't know who he was. I've never seen him before, and I've never seen him after. And Rick's like, this guy wants to talk to you. And I look over, and I, I'm seeing people, like, just little hints of, we don't want to fight either between the police and the protesters. Not everybody's there to, to engage, but, again, you have pack mentality on both sides. I could see him, like, again, no planning whatsoever. As soon as he came into my, my, my space, I said, bro, I said, that guy is not who we are. See these cops? I said, they're here to protect you. You tell me what we need to do. He's like, tell the people we just told me. I said, get their attention. And that's when he says, hey, everybody, the sheriff wants to talk to you. And I said, at that moment, which was chronicled on social media, a message that came from my heart. And that message that was just a few seconds of listening to what they were wanting and responding because it was mutually agreed upon. I made a statement. They heard it. I listened. I asked. They said, I gave game over. They said, walk with us. And they never rehearsed it. I mean, these people have never seen each other. They didn't organize this event. And when they said, walk with us, I take a step back. I fist pump a dude trying to like, just give me some distance. And again, you prepare in the peace to perform in a calm. It just made sense to say, there's a better option, man. Let's walk. And I said it once and I said it again. I screamed it the third time. I said, I walk all night. And we started walking, man. And boom, instantly, the whole crowd turned. And literally, all I wanted is to turn them, to get them away from the police department, to just divert, distract, divert. And as we walked about 150 yards from that, you know, I'm high-fiving people. I'm like, I, I don't know. <clears throat> Was this a really good move or a really bad move? I don't know this yet. And uh, I, one of the guys that I mentioned, Dobbs, he's to my left. He's in full tag gear. He's got his helmet on. I literally looked at him, and I'm high-fiving people still. And uh, I said, hey, I said, is the police department safe? And he's like, it's good. And this next line, Nick, this is what if, – if, if I dropped dead today, I would know that this line defined who I was as a police officer because warriors are validated in battle. Warriors are validated in battle. And when you are validated, that, that is an honorable death. If that's the last memory that
that you have of yourself. I said, where are the people? And he looked to me and he said, they're all following you. Boom. Not a single board broke, 40 protests after that. Nobody arrested, no businesses burned, nobody. And within 24 hours, that moment reached 3.2 billion people around the world in 24 hours. As it should have. I think there's not nearly enough good examples of leadership like that. And it is in those moments. And, it, you know, all the look, you and I have been in a few interesting situations as well together. There's people always ask questions that that make sense in context outside of the situation. But I've always found when you're in the situation, it doesn't feel like that at all. I mean, it just you I find I know you're a man of faith, too. Like I find God just gives me peace about what I'm supposed to do. And I find, you know, you you mentioned like there's so many things you can't control in life. And I I, I, I come to think about this a lot more now. I mean, people don't stop and give credence to the fact that I really can't control if the person across the road from me comes across that yellow line. I can't control if a tree falls in my bedroom while I'm sleeping. Like there's like, if you really stop to think about it, there's so little we're in control of, but there's a few things we are in control of. And the way we engage with other people is that's the, that's probably the biggest impact we could have on the world from that experience uh i learned from you that you know what you did there is you you unified the people and you in fact have changed the slogan of your department to protect serve and unify everyone's heard protect and serve which is great but i love that addition of unify tell me how you do that so that was you you got one you got to write once right i mean i'm sure there's many times but it was very public once so what do you do so it's not just you know a slogan on the door of a bunch of cars now in genesee county great question because people myself included are sick and tired of this and no action they're they're tired of seeing people puke out all the things they're going to do and nothing ever comes of it they're tired of promises made by people that, that love us. There's promises broken that are made by people that, that serve us, that we worship and in all these different places and different settings. And so I know that if I'm going to say something in my life, I'm going to do it. You don't ever have to worry. If Chris says he's going to do something, it's done. And that's what builds credibility. Now think of that moment. Okay. All the people that were here and around the nation and around the world were so frustrated because this is yet another example of race division, a police community division. So now they're like, that's it. So it, it, it didn't just happen as a moment. It was a starting point. What the world saw that day is what I'd been my whole life. But that was the starting point of where we had to go. If that was a one and done, if that was a, give me two minutes to think about what you want me to do. If any of that happened, we wouldn't be here. But the action started immediately. We're walking back. I'm already thinking in my head, all right, how are we going to do this? How are we going to build race relations? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the front guy. I'm going to be the white police leader who's the voice of reason. I started thinking. I didn't know what all the plans were going to be. I didn't even think about Protect, Serve, and Unify. I didn't think about Black and Blue podcast. I didn't think about Us United. I didn't think about doing education in the jail and, and talking to different people that didn't look like me. I didn't do any of that. I just knew this was a starting point. On the way back to Target, I'm looking at Johnny, who I'd never met. I'm looking at Quan, who I've never met. I'm looking at Jeff Hawkins. I'm like, all right, Johnny, you open up. Quan, you follow up. I'll do this. Pastor, you close us out in prayer. We get to the target. There's thousands of people there. People were watching it live. They came and dropped everything to be a part of it. 
I'm hanging off a light pole, but I made a promise. I said, I'm going to be the change agent because people want action. They want leaders to step up and say, that's it. I'm done. Watch what I do. Don't listen to a word I say. Every news media, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, NPR, Good Morning America, Australia, they would always ask, Sheriffs, what's next? And I'd be like, I don't know every step, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to be part of police evolution. I'm going to be part of bringing this back. It's it's not the worst time to be a cop. It's the best time because we're at ground zero. We can only go up from here. And so when you give to the communities by our community care task force, you serve people by feeding folks, not when it's crisis, but when there's no connection to nothing, when there's no expectations back, when you're going into Jewish synagogues and Muslim uh, Muslim temples and you're watching and you're, you're communicating with people, not because you're an elected official, just because you're trying to build a relationship. Every little deposit has helped build those things. Whatever word you say that you want to do, you better back it up by action, which is, I know what you respect, which is why I'm on camera all the time. Why don't turn down podcasts and interviews. I don't turn down my weekly briefings. I always do it because the more you push it out as to what you're doing, with action and evidence, people start believing. And they're like, wait a second, this makes sense. Our education program in the jail, which you've already come in and you saw it with your literacy documentary. Like when you're seeing inmates graduate, do you know in 2011, we had over 300 incidents of violence between inmate and inmate, okay? Or 300, 10 years ago. Last year, we had 13 in the jail. We've changed the whole culture. We're graduating people, we're educating them. I'm flying here, I'm going there because I have a platform and I'm gonna use it. And I'm gonna to touch a bunch of lies. I'm gonna show what race relations can be like. So I do a podcast with Buddy Ken from San Diego. He's not a cop and he ain't white, but I'm not a guy in San Diego who's a protest advocate and I'm not black. But together we have civil discourse, we talk about issues. I'm not afraid, you can talk about anything as long as you do it respectful. Long answer to short question, Nick, I'm taking action. And again, I can control what I do. So therefore I'm using the platform and using folks like you who have another platform to send the message with evidence. Absolutely. Awesome. We're going to get into, into human trafficking in a few minutes, but let's talk about your ignite program real quick. You talk about education in the jail. Um, Yes, I have only been inside jail two times. Uh, one of them is in Haiti. Uh, and I think they painted it just before we got there because it was beautiful. Uh, and then it was open air, but it was beautiful. And, uh, and your jail. And I didn't feel threatened at all. It was really incredible. And, and we all know or we've all heard that there's a lot of racial tension inside most jails. I mean, I saw white guys teaching black guys, black guys teaching white guys, Hispanic guys teaching. It did, like they were all and they were so excited to share with me. It's really interesting. People who are, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know what else to call them. Probably a bad stereotype, but hardened criminals, people who yeah. are in jail, like that's not right. typically your first offense for shoplifting, right? You, they are in jail and they were legitimately lit up. Like, like the only other way I could describe it would be like kids in a kindergarten class. And I'm not mm -hmm. minimizing who they are or saying they're five-year-olds, but they were excited by education. And that to me is mind blowing when I could walk into an 11th grade privileged private school class, like my, my son at his private school. And they, I mean, depends on the class and the teacher does make a big difference, but they're not, we're not as excited about these people were excited to share with me what they're learning in math, what they're learning in reading, 
one thing I'll say, and I'll ask my question, but I think one of the biggest things you've done in that environment, which I have learned a lot on this reading documentary I'm, I'm working on, there's so much shame in this that that's where a lot of it gets hidden. A lot of it gets hidden and it's just a dirty secret and it's just, there's just shame and guilt and regret. And you have clearly taken it to a point of pride. Now everyone there is excited to tell me what they've learned. They don't care that if what they've learned is maybe what they should have learned at eight years old or 10 years old or 15 years old. They're just excited that they're learning. So tell me what got you to start that program. What sort of milestones you put in place for these inmates and where it's heading? So Ignite, Inmate Growth, Natural and Education is a culture change. It is a transition from 185 years of us running jails the exact same way to something totally different. It's not used to leverage people's cases in front of the judge to get a lesser sentence, zero. We don't send certificates to probation officers and parole officers, we don't do any of that. We are changing the culture while they're in jail to make them productive, to make them constructive. So wherever they go from here, they're better than when they came in. Not a better inmate, but a better human being, a better citizen, a better person. If we can do that, then the chances of them coming back are much less and everybody wins. I'm gonna prove this to you. When we saw all the, the, the inmate behavior during COVID, we became a jail. We're the fifth largest county in the state of Michigan, over 600 people in jail. To your point about the hardened criminal, 60% of our 600 people have 20 year to life offenses while they're in jail waiting right now. 60, more than half of the population right this very second of us recording, 60% of our population are in there because they're pending charges of 20 years to life offenses, murders, rapes, robberies, all the things, those hardened criminals. 50% of our population's black, 50% is white. Sometimes it's 49, 51 or 48, 52, it just flip flops. But nine out of 10 of them are addicted or co-addicted. Six out of 10 of them, six out of 10 of them are on some type of mental health medication. Half the population cannot read. Grown men and women that have gone 30, 40, 50, 60 years through life not reading. What, how are we even expecting them to go out and succeed when, when they come to jail? Imagine Nick going to jail for 60 days. You don't have a wife, you don't have a family, Think of you couldn't go back to your house, pay your bills, pay your car payment. You couldn't do anything. Your car was towed for 60 days. Think of how your life, some people never recover because of all that aftermath. And then they come out of the jail and life has gone on. They're trying to catch up for the rest of their life. So what do they do? They get frustrated, they go back to addictions, they go back to breaking law and the generational incarceration cycle continues. That's crap. And I know this too, everybody in prison, which is the state level, Everybody in prison comes through a jail. Everybody. Nobody goes from arrest to prison anywhere in the country. Everybody goes to the county jail. But guess what? Only 90% of the people in the county jail, the 90%, they're going back on the street. Only 10 go to prison. So what are we doing with the population that we know is going to be there? That's what we're doing in Genesee County. So after the protest and things were happening and all these interviews, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of interviews and meetings and the same question, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, one of the things we're doing is we're changing our model in the jail because I know that those folks in the jail represent my community. And so while they're there, we're going to go to school two hours a day, five days a week. We're new GED, diplomas, food service, financial literacy, 200 online courses, 
associate's degrees. We're going to teach them building, plumbing, pipe fitting, electrical. We're going to do skilled trades with virtual reality. We're going to go there, and while they're there, we're going to teach them how to be better. We're giving them books, and we're going to give them tests and quizzes. And what we found was the average math grade when we launched this program September 8, 2020, 14 months ago, the average math grade in the county jail was fifth and reading was sixth grade. Like that was stunning to me. But within 90 days of us launching the education model, we increased math a whole grade and our, our, our reading and comprehension a grade and a half. We started teaching people and showing them what, what life outside of this system looks like. We graduated our first individual. December 23rd, Leon Mize, he, he completed a 225 hour school uh, uh, food service program with a national registry examination that he passed, got him a full-time job. Since Leon, 27 people have left the county jail in Genesee County that are in full-time employment. We do our voter registration. We had last Friday, which was right before the election, we brought in 21 candidates that are on the ballot, Republicans, Democrats, white, black, inner city, out city, every one of them. 21 of them had a meet the candidate town hall with the inmates. Like nobody does that. Why do we do it? Because we're changing their mindset. And, and Nick, you've seen it firsthand when you've brought somebody who could not read and that shame is overbearing. When they learn that they actually have the opportunity to read and they can do it, it changes everything. That's one of many. It's not the answer, but Ignite is a answer that's why we opened it up in minneapolis minnesota last month we got 17 counties in line it's recognized as a national standard that this is the key this is how we're going to get back to where we need to we're changing the cultures in the jail and those stats that i told you from assaults is because we're changing the way we do business i was just talking to the prosecutor which is also a corporation counsel and i know you're a lawyer do you know that we have zero in the last two years ironically i've been the sheriff going on two years so i'm taking a little bit of credit here we do not have a single pending lawsuit with use of force right now in the jail. Like that never happened, bro. The culture That's of the staff incredible. and the culture of inmates is unbelievable. I'm, it's, it's, I get a front row seat to see it, and, I, and it's just unbelievable. There's staff watching this right now, and I'm so proud of them because it's not just one person that can do it. It's a culture change, and it starts from the top. It, it takes a village in, in every sense of the word. And, you know, what I think is the difference is, you know, you're leading with love instead of fear. And that's that that changes a lot when I'm sure a person who's been treated uh, in many situations in life like they like they're a throwaway. And if they've been treated that way, what do we what do we expect them to become? I mean, that's it's a pretty obvious answer to me. All right. Work in human trafficking. We're getting to this for a bit. Uh, you founded the Genesee Human Oppression Strike Team Ghost, of which I am a member. I will. I'm a card carrying, badge carrying member. I'm. I'm going to show everybody there, uh, and so uh, which I'm proud to be. And so, tell us a little bit about how you founded that, what it's all about, and and I guess maybe the first time you thought about there's something to human trafficking besides prostitution, because I think that's where everyone's really looking at victims at first and not realizing that they're victims. So just give me your sort of the evolution there. So it's very timely that you asked this question and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, but you and I are, are very similar in the paths that we have taken to be in, in, immersed in the protection and education awareness side of human trafficking. So being a police veteran, I, I've been on the job 29 years. Like you said, I've been involved with prostitution stings my whole career. 
But when I got involved with an international organization, and because of my time as a, a dope cop and, and all my investigative experience, I was recruited to go to different countries outside of America to play a role in an undercover operation with the federal law enforcement of that country because it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise, as you know. They don't have policing like we do have in America, but they have such an epidemic of kids and women and men being trafficked and involved in sex slavery. The customers look like you and I around the world, American and European white men. So when we play a role and we order up the kids or the women and they come up to this event, then they are rescued, the traffickers are arrested, and this organization and their members fly home. I did my first aftercare operation where we went to do different aftercares in Mexico. And then just shortly thereafter, we did an actual UC op in Haiti. And you mentioned Haiti. I've been to Haiti as many times as, as, um, as I've been uh, to different cities in America. I, I, I'm very well versed in Haiti like you. Haiti is a, is a wild place. It's the most oppressive country in the Western hemisphere. And, and in this particular trip, I was there. I had a SEAL Team 3 member to my left. I had another SEAL members here. We had UCs from this organization in this brothel. The two traffickers were right in front of me. And what they were doing is they were taking women from Europe and they were advertising for them to work at a five-star resort in the Dominican Republic, which is to the east of Haiti. And when these ladies got there and they were bedazzled and, and wined and dined, they were put on a big transport luxury bus, their credentials were taken, including their passports, and they were shot across the Haitian line. And at that point, they are off the grid. They have no means of communication. They're sucked into the system. And then all of a sudden you have these predators come from all over the world and they order up these girls that are from another country that have been trafficked and pimped out for months and months. And they have no voice. That's the intel we were gathering at that event. So I'm there and we're doing our thing. And, you know, it's a uh, fun fact. I, I was playing the role of the corporate boss that was ordering up these 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 people for the party and i don't drink but one of the servers came over like what do you had and i first thing i've never tasted beer in my life right so i literally do not drink i don't even know what but i used to work in a bar and i was a great server i'm like give me a vodka straight up and so he poured his vodka and ice and and dude i was acting like i was drinking but i was knocking things around i'm pouring things and you know give me another one it was hilarious i got vodka all over my pants and my shoes and vodka everywhere never took a sip they thought i was wasted and we were gathering this intel, come to find out one of the girls that was with SEAL team number three was able to be rescued with other girls later on, but it was on the return of that trip. I even cut a video. As I'm coming back down from my hotel room in Haiti, I cut a video and I said on the way, I'm like, this is crazy. I, I, if it's happening here, sound familiar? It's gotta be happening in my own town. So I was able to come back and my predecessor, the sheriff before me, he did five years with the CIA and he knew about Haiti and he's been in five continents and he's a fabulous guy. He, um, he allowed me to build this team out. Whether he knew he was in transition of leaving and I was gonna be the next sheriff. I mean, I knew that was happening, but he allowed me to do it. And we were able to do our first operation. In May of 2018, I decided we're gonna, we're gonna try to find these, these vulnerable kids. We did a rescue and we found 72 kids under the age of 17 that had just been off the grid, none of them. They weren't all trafficked, but the last one was, she was kept in a tub in a bathroom and her, her pimp was pimping her out all day, every day. And she had special needs. It was just, 
it was a reality check for what I knew to the people that I now oversee at the sheriff's office and they got it. Well, we started doing our first reverse operations where we put the bait out there and the UCs in our office to learn how to chat. And we put our, our, our photos out there. We had decoys. We worked with Mesa PD who has a team down in, Fe in Arizona and they were helping us. And we just kind of fumbled our way through the very first one in 2018. Well, let me just tell you, Ghost, Genesee Human Oppression Strike Team, since 2018 has done four major rescues in the county. Every time we do one, the numbers of missing kids go down. The last one we just did, just a month or two ago, we had less than 30 kids that are off the grid. We've done 137 arrests of predators, 137 since 2018. We've got a 100% confession rate, 100% conviction rate. One dude just pled guilty to 17 months to 20 years because he branded his, his, his victim. He's going to prison. Our people plead, they don't even go to trial because the first trial we won, the dude just got popped for 20 years. The jury found him guilty. Defense attorneys wave him up the circuit court, plead out the case. We've not only done that, I've created a playbook, a digital playbook that now I send to law enforcement with a QR code. It gives them 14 different files, 12 of which are video files, the one, two steps. We've done 29 counties in the state of Michigan with other sheriff's offices. There's two more concept teams now, and we had the honor and privilege to be in the world's best human trafficking documentary. That will be the number one traffic documentary because of you. It's called It's Happening Right Here. I could go on and on, baby. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm proud of the work uh, we did on that documentary together. There's a lot of people uh, involved in that fight. And I, I, I just pray that a lot of people see it so they, so they can really see what it is because most people have no clue. So this is one side of it, which is, you know, this uh, uh, people being advertised for, for sale by, uh, by pimps, we'll call it. And then people acting upon it, which is, you know, gross and perverse and all that when they've been told, I mean, I've been in the room when they've been told, Hey, I'm only 13. Is that okay? It's like, Oh, and one guy said, we're not going to get married. And it's like, right. I mean, it's just disgusting. It's like, and these people, first of all, I don't know what the percentage of these people is, but I would say in any room where you're, if there's more than 50 people, there's probably at least one in that room with you. Like somebody who has either downloaded child pornography or acted upon it. I mean, which is, crazy and then second of all most people just don't realize the the role of technology today so wherever you know it, it's it's sort of a biblical principle gone wrong wherever two or more are gathered there shall be trafficking right i mean it's just it where they traffickers look for where people gather and people don't realize now that there's i mean i learned about websites thankfully i had no idea about them that that you guys used to to draw people in, but there's communities of people who are in that case, a lot of them just looking for hookups and stuff, but there's also communities of people. What people don't realize is there's communities of people on Fortnite, on Roblox, on Xbox, on every iPhone, on TikTok, And these people, I mean, they're predators. They are there to extract value from humanity. And so I'm hopeful that the movie gets, you know, gets a large audience so that people can see Time that. Out. It's going to be the number one human trafficking <laughs> in the country, Nick. I'm telling you, I know you're, you're soft. I want the people to hear this. I'm the user <laughs> side and the consumer side. I'm telling you, it's going to be in every school. It's going to be in every family. It's going to be an epidemic. 
Nick, just stand by. I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of things. This one's going to tell the story and it's going to shock the nation. 75 minutes of amazing footage. I'm telling oh, you. Thank you. I, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it all. I'll, I'll take that and I'll, and I'll serve it well. Um, what is your, what do you think happens next? Because clearly human trafficking is really just one of the worst forms of bullying in, in humanity, right? And so you're starting to crack down on it. You clearly, I mean, we went, when I was with your team, we went to, you know, some random hotel in some random small city on the outskirts. And anyone could do this anywhere, probably in the world. I will say it's for sure anywhere in America, you could go the, pick the closest hotel to your home. And if they, and if people who knew what they were doing, went and posted these ads and chatted with people yeah. within a matter of two hours max, you're going to have at least one, probably a half a dozen or more predators show up. What are the next steps? I mean, I, obviously I don't want to hear, I don't want anything that's going to make your ops be blown up, but what do you, what yeah. do you do next? Now that you're starting to take some of these people off the streets, what's next? So this is just like the credibility you have to build for race relations and community police relations is people need to see concept teams as trusted places where they can go to either tell the story of how they're victimized or report somebody who's being victimized. And that's what Ghost has been able to do. And so all the briefings that I put out there, I don't, I don't demonize these individuals who are arrested. I give them their picture. I tell them their name, their age, where they live and what profession they're in. And when people on the other side of the camera see that, they come forward, victims come forward. We arrested a dude, Justin McLeod. He's a former Flint City Police canine officer. He was raping a stepdaughter for years. She came forth on a 13th birthday. When she came forward, we protected her, arrested him, put his picture up there. The neighbor girl whose parents were his best friends came forward and said he was doing the same thing to me when I visited my friend when I was at his house. Put him back up, charge him a second round. The third girl came forward. She saw that the courage of the other two, she came forward. So what we need to do is continue to give the platform that people can trust. So Ghost is doing this and we become better for it just now. Uh, today we hit a door, which is the reason why I'm dressed like this and many other reasons, because this search warrant that we did arrested two subjects and they were sextorting 13, 14 and 15 year olds using TikTok and Snapchat. And they would get them to send pictures thinking that it was an online boyfriend and they were provocative. Then they found out that they were going to post them. They sextorted them and they've got multiple confessions now. While I'm doing the show, the team's back there because they were using those pictures as bait to get into the house and just having threesomes with these 14 year olds. They were forcing them to have oral sex and all this other nonsense for years. It's been going on since 2019, Nick. And we just blew it up today, got them both in custody. There's victims we won't even know about because they were sextorted. And with that, there's years of shame. There's years of maybe even drug abuse, neglect. There's suicide attempts, if not, unfortunately, the full suicide. So. I can't in good conscience not give this to other agencies and who better to do it than sheriffs because we're trusted by the people. So every sheriff's office, I talked to two yesterday, every sheriff's office that is, that is developing their own team and we're helping them. That's a win for the community because not all of our predators come from this County. They come from all over the state and in other States. So we're going to continue to educate, make aware, protect and do the aftercare, but we're also going to use our platform. And I said in the film, there should not be a safe corner of this country where a predator can roam free and not be a sheepdog there to smash him in the face. 
I'm totally with you. I love what you're doing, obviously. Uh, honored to work alongside you. Um, where, where can people go to learn more about what you're doing next and what you're doing there uh, at Genesee County? So clearly you can just Google Sheriff Chris Swanson. You can Google Sheriff's office, Genesee County. I mean, we have a pretty good uh, media platform, but you know, I love being front and center as the sheriff, but the good work that we're doing it really goes into a number of different platforms. So you may like the film that's coming out because of you. You may like the weekly briefings that I do every Wednesday at one o'clock Eastern, where I share these stories that are unfiltered and unedited, where people learn about them. I mean, you could go on our Facebook or Instagram or YouTube page. Like you've got to really work hard not to find us, but we're not the only source. Go find people that are doing it and getting it done when it comes to human trafficking, even race relations. I mean, you can go back to the Black and Blue podcast. You can Google that and see Ken Wadake, Chris Swanson. I mean, we've done 49 episodes that are really intense. So there's a lot of ways to find me, but, and I appreciate that, but I'm not here to build up Chris Swanson. I'm here, I'm here to share a message that's going to change the way we do business. I love that. I'm also personally waiting on uh, the book Police Evolution. I, I believe that you should write that book soon rather than reform its evolution. I love your, your take on that. Hey, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you again in person real soon. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you. I'll see the rest of you soon on Now to Next. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.